<laughs> I want you to, to grab a chocolate. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. I forgot John back there. John's getting nervous because I didn't give him one. <laughs> he tried to eat them all before service started, so I've got to keep him away from them. <laughs> Only the best for my fam. Yeah, you already want to eat it. I can see. I know how this works. You already, you're already going. Mmm, this is good. Don't eat it yet. <laughs> That's good. You can't. No, no, no. This is how you win people over. This is how you win people over and get votes. <laughs> Everybody got a chocolate? That's good. Somebody's going to say, no, I didn't get one. <laughs> Just hold on to the chocolate for a minute. Today, we're going to continue our Easter sermon series called From the Ashes. Our lives can sometimes feel like they are disappointing pile of ashes. We can feel broken, shattered, and destroyed. However, remember the good news is that Jesus' life, death, resurrection means that we can experience a new life, a vibrant life, a good life, Our lives, no matter how bad before, are never irredeemable. Said another way, you are not so broken that God cannot fix you. I can't fix you. Nobody else can fix you, but God can fix you. You are never beyond disrepair in God's eyes. In and through Christ, you can rise above the ashes and experience an abundant life. Now... I want you to open, listen to the instructions. I want you to open your candy. Don't eat it yet. I want you to smell it. And see how good it smells. So how many of you are right now tempted to just eat that chocolate? (laughs) If you're honest, most of you. That's smelling pretty good. So, if you are observing Lent, some people during Lent uh, give some it up. 
for a period of 40 days so they can, so they can uh, embrace the sacrifice that Jesus had done for them. To get them closer to God. And, and as I said in, in week one, this isn't going to be a series just for the, for the broken and the shattered. This is for anyone who wants to grow in the knowledge and, and understanding of God. Anybody who wants to embrace the full life that God offers you. He offers you a full life. Don't you want that? Because that's what I want. I want to embrace everything that God has for me. So each week, we're going to be look at one aspect of Jesus' life and ministry during his time here on earth and what we can learn from him. Last week, we started by realizing we need to find our identity in Christ and what he has done for us and who we are when we put our trust in the finished work of Christ. We become a child of God. That's pretty amazing to me, that, that God would call me his child. I know who I am because I'm the only person who truly knows who I am inside. And you're the only person you know who you are inside. Yet God calls you his child when you put your trust and your faith in him. See, if we believe that when Jesus said it was finished, your debt was paid, you owe nothing, you cannot afford the debt anyway, you can now call God Father, Abba, or like I like to say, Daddy. Because no matter what your daddy was like on earth, he is the ultimate father, the ultimate dad. He is always looking out for you. And today, we're going to be talking about temptation. And today's big idea, and just in case you decide to take a nap while I'm preaching, I'll try to be loud enough you don't. But if you decide to, I'm going to give you the big idea. Jesus experienced temptation of every kind and was able to overcome it. His example teaches us what we need to know to battle temptation and rise above it in our own lives. You know, Jesus is, gives us what we need. We just don't use the tools that we've been given. See, we begin this week with a video about temptation with some kids. That, that they got to have, have two marshmallows. I've heard it done where they give you an Oreo. I would fail at this bad. They give you one Oreo and say, I'll be back in half an hour. And if, if, you've, you, if you don't eat the Oreo now, you can have two Oreos. My whole childhood, I would have flunked. I would have flunked. I could not resist an Oreo. I'm not eating them right now, but I cannot. I, if they were in my house, and I don't, I'm on keto. So if they were in my house, they're not in my house for this reason. Because if they were, I would eat them. And when I say I would eat them... I would eat the whole packet in one sitting. That's how much I like Oreo cookies. That is why Oreos are not in my house. 
But did you know, immediately preceding the start of Jesus' earthly ministry, he experienced a 40-day period of temptation. See, while resting, resisting the temptation of the free chocolate I've just gave you, can you imagine a persistent and prolonged session of it? Because I'm going to let you eat the chocolate now. You can eat, all eat your chocolate if you want now. Anybody who wants to eat their chocolate can eat their chocolate. And they're like, amen to that, brother. <laughs> amen to that. And as an added bonus, as an added bonus, the person overseeing your temptation would be none other than Satan himself. That's who was in the wilderness with Jesus, tempting him. I can't even imagine what this would have felt like, looked like, or been like to endure. And yet this is the exact scenario that Jesus had to overcome. Jesus had to overcome this. We begin today with a look into the season of Jesus' life and how we can learn from and be encouraged by Jesus, our Savior. Temptation is to be expected, okay, in our lives. Temptation will come. Will come. There's no doubt in my mind that you are going to all be tempted in some shape, way, or form today. What you do with it is between you and God, but you are going to be tempted today. See, we have to, first and foremost, we have to acknowledge that temptation should be expected in our lives. Should be expected. See, we all experience temptation each and every day. No one is immune from the desires to have things or to do things that do not align with the way of Christ. Nobody's immune to it. Temptation comes in many forms and in many ways. It can seem innocent, in, innocent enough, enough. It's tax time. We could hmm, fadangle some num- numbers. Or those that go to work that have a set schedule. And they say, break time's 15 minutes. But we take... 17, 18, 20 minutes of break time. Or we're at work, and instead of working, we're on our phones checking on. Oh, because we can't miss anything. We cannot miss anything that's happening. We need to see all them pictures that are posted on Facebook and what everybody else is doing. So we better check our social media. Why we're at work, supposed to be working These are all temptations that we all face in our lives. See, Songs of Solomon says this. In the eyes of many, those don't seem like huge problems, but it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. See, it's them little little temptations that grow and manifest into bigger temptations. And believe me when I say that the temptations and desires behind those actions can grow into big, big problems. See, they can lead to things that we all would agree are devastating. 
They can lead to broken marriages. They can lead to ruined relationships. They can lead to careers flushed down the tooler. They can be ministries closing. They can be, you put it there. This is what happens when we get the little, the little, we allow the little temptations to come into our lives. The bigger temptations, we, we crack the door and the big temptations just come in. And it does no good to pretend like we are immune to temptation or to think that we can handle things on our own. Listen to what what first john says first john says this if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness and if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us and Romans 7, 19 through 20 says this, I, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. And J.C. JC Riley wrote these words, We must not count temptation a strange thing. A strange thing. The disciple is not greater than the master, nor the servant than his Lord. If Satan came to Christ, he will also come to Christians. If, if Satan was able to tempt Christ, I don't think there's anybody in here that Satan's going to come knocking on your door and, and, and tempt you, by the way, because I don't think we're, we're that important. And last time I checked, Satan wasn't omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. So Satan can only be at one place at one time. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't have a lot of minions running around doing his work, but I believe, and I think the Bible backs me up, is, is that when sin happened in the garden, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, we have the seed planted in us. That's why anybody been around a newborn baby? You don't have to teach newborns or kids how to sin. They sin naturally. They sin naturally. We sin naturally because we are just grown up children. You see, we are not greater. So if sin is going to tempt Jesus, it's definitely going to tempt you. It's definitely going to tempt you. So today, let's begin by confessing and acknowledging that we all deal with temptation in our lives and that there are times when we Follow temptation down paths that are neither Christ-honoring nor consistent with our heavenly citizenship. We choose to sin. We choose a bad decision. So how do we manage temptation? How do we respond to temptation? How do we model and the fortitude and endurance Jesus had? Well, it starts with our identity. And this whole series, that's why I started last week's lesson on identity. Because your identity is so important. Where you get your identity from is everything. See, this is why 
We, we started last week with this idea. Before we look at temptation of Christ in Matthew chapter 4, we need to talk about the, the event that immediately preceded his 40-day temptation in the wilderness. And Matthew 3, 13 through 17 says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, and behold, and this is the most important verse here for me today. It's not the most important in the whole text, but it is important right now in what I'm going to talk about. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. See, the baptism of Christ is an incredible, significant moment for many reasons. But today, I want you to focus on that verse. See, notice God the Father didn't say, Good, now go and fulfill your destiny on earth, or... Or he didn't say, this is my son. Watch out, Satan and demons. And all spiritual wickedness. He's coming for you. No, none of that. He simply said, this is my son. And we know God loves his son. And is well pleased with him. See, this is Christ's identity. He is a beloved son of the God most high. See, and this, this is such a powerful reality that when Jesus is drawn into the wilderness, this is the very first thing that Satan tries to call into question. It's the very first thing he tries to call into question. He tries to tempt Jesus out of his identity and position. Look at what he says. He said, the tempter came and said to him, if, if, if you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. For Jesus, the tempter said, if you are the son of God. For Eve in the garden, he said, did God really say that? He questions our identity. He questioned Jesus' identity. He questions what God really says. What does that voice sound like in your life? Because we all have one. When I talked about sin and temptation and the devil's not knocking on your door, you're knocking on your own door. You speak to yourself probably more than anybody else. And you probably tell yourself, or other people have told you this, if you really were a Christian, if you really were a Christian, you wouldn't do this. If you really loved God, you wouldn't do that. If you were only more like X, Y, or Z, if you were really saved, you wouldn't be suffering 
like you are. The question may be different for all of us, but the motive is always the same. The motive is to get us doubting our identity and position. You see, sin wants you to doubt who you are. Sin wants you to doubt that you are God's child, that he created you. And he gave you your identity. He, he wants you to doubt that. Sin wants you to doubt that. In summary, when dealing with temptation, always remember whose you are and who you are. You are a beloved child of God. He cares for you. Three, God's provision. Okay, so now we've all agreed temptation is something every one of us is going to deal with. It's something every one of us is going to deal with. We also realize questioning our identity is the primary tactic the enemy is going to use. Whether it's from inside or from outside. See, so let's look at the three specific areas Jesus was tempted while he was in the wilderness. Matthew 4, 3 through 4 says this. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Have you ever been hungry? I'm hungry all the time, so it's hard for me to to give an example because I'm hungry all the time. But recently, last year, I went went on a keto diet and, and... what this diet said is that you want to do a fast because it works better. And it did. It helped me uh, uh, get in, uh, lose a little bit of weight and, and helps me, especially seeing as I have a thyroid issue, it helped me lose weight. It worked for me. It doesn't work for everybody. It worked for me. And it was intermittent fasting. And that wasn't even 24 hours. I had to not eat for 16 hours. I got eight hours to eat. 16 hours, don't eat. And you sleep half of them. So it's like, is this really hard? Well, when you're me, it's really hard. When, when you, you get up in the morning and you can't eat till 10, 30, 11, it's hard. When you're used to getting up and eating. So, so I've experienced a little bit of hunger. I mean... Not, not really bad. And then the first time I had a colonoscopy, and they tell you, hey, you can't eat anything but, but jello, and it can't be red jello. So you can only eat so much lime green jello. And you can only drink so much chicken broth. And by the way, it doesn't fill you up. So that is my experience for being hungry. So I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. By the way, Jesus must have, how hungry Jesus must have been. He was in the desert 40 days. 40 days. And then, and then, the Jesus, then Satan decides to tempt him. 
Satan didn't come when he was strong just after his baptism and he walks into the wilderness. No, Jesus goes on a 40-day fast to get closer to God. And while he's on that, near the end, Satan comes. And by this time, Jesus has got to be pretty hungry because even though he's God, he was still in the flesh. He still felt hunger pains like we feel. So it was just cruel of Satan. And he would come and question his identity. He questioned his identity by this. He not only questioned his identity, but then he challenged him to turn stones into bread. And how many of you think Jesus could have turned stones into bread? Uh, If anybody answers no, he couldn't have done that. I'm thinking, you need to go home and study your Bible. At least read it a little bit. I mean, Jesus multiplied loaves of bread and fish to feed the multitude. Jesus healed the blind. I don't think turning a few pebbles into some bread was a problem for Jesus. And honestly, if I'd been on a 40-day fast, if I'd been it, it wouldn't have been a loaf of bread. It would it would have been a nice fat cheeseburger or or some Oreos. Or or a, a spicy a spicy a spicy Chick-fil-A sandwich. You can't go wrong with a spicy Chick-fil-A family, sandwich. So, that's what would have happened if I was on a 40-day fast. That's why I can tell you, nobody could do what Jesus did. Nobody. Because we would have all been tempted. We would have all been tempted. But aside from bread and, and cheeseburgers, What was really going on here? Well, what was the underlying need Satan was trying to manipulate? See, he needed Jesus. The need Jesus had that we all share is the need for provision. We need the need for provision was food in Jesus' case. But what about you? We all have needs, finances, food. We have food, a roof over our head, a job. You know, clothes. However, in all those things, we look to God. That is who we should be looking for. The benevolent creator of the cosmos. And we trust he will supply all of our needs. Because he promises this. And if you believe God, and you believe that the Bible is true... These are either true or God's a liar, and we already need, we need to do something else on a Sunday. He says this in Philippians 19, And my God will supply every, every need of yours according to his riches in glory, of, in, in, the glory in Christ Jesus. I want, I want to tell you, though, this doesn't mean he's going to give you all your wants. It's far from that. See, here's the thing is, you really don't know what you need. That's our problem. We were created to glorify God. Okay? He knows what we need, and he will give us what we need. Not what we want. He sometimes gives us what we want, 
but he always gives you what you need to accomplish his plan for your life. And then Matthew 6.26 says this, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than them? Obviously you are. He sent his son to die for you. That is how valuable we are to God. If he's going to do that, he's going to provide for us. And finally, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord, you see, if we got this, if we got this one bit of scripture that's mainly read at funerals, It's amazing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If we're honest, we all want. Everybody in there wants. See, but a good shepherd will always supply for the needs of his flock. And God is our shepherd. And we are his flock, so he's going to give us what we need. A good, father supplies, a good father supplies all the needs of his kids. And, 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 and no matter what your earthly father was like or is like, it doesn't matter. God is the perfect father. He's what a father's supposed to be like. And me being a sinful human being made sure that my kids had food to eat and clothes on their back and a roof over their head. How much more will God take care of you? How much more? See, we have a good shepherd and a good father and we can trust our needs will be met by him. All this to say this, giving up The physical desires of the flesh reminds us that the only provision we really need comes from the hand of God. God can be trusted and his word is what gives us life. Not food, not finances, not relationships, not things. They're all good things, but they're not God. They're all things that God created that he wants us to have in our lives. But they're not God. He doesn't want us to worship them. So during Lent, if you have chosen to go without, remember it's to remind you that God, that God is all you need. God's protection. Matthew 4, 5 through 7 goes on to say this. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and, oh, their hands, hands they will bear you up, and least you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, Again, it is written, 
You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, the second temptation of Jesus seems to be focused on inviting Jesus to test God's protection on his beloved son. He's still messing with Jesus' identity because he, he always says, if you are the son of God, if you are. And by the way, the devil knows exactly who he is. But Jesus, having confidence in the care and concern for his well-being by God, saw no need to do such a foolish thing. In fact, Jesus brings up a very important principle that we should not test the Lord. I don't even think, by the way, that Jesus would have needed angels to pick him up and lift him up. See, I, I believe that he's like a superhero without a cape. I believe... I. I, I believe every word that's written in the Bible, so I believe all the miracles that are about him. So I think if he jumped off a building, he would probably fly. He could probably fly if he wanted to, because he's Jesus. And, and, and he manipulates, he makes blind men see, he makes lame men walk, he rises people. If you can, hey, dead man, Lazarus, get up, it's, wake up. Oh, you've been dead, you stinketh? You've been dead for three days? Get up. If you can rise, raise somebody from the dead, I think you can do everything. You have the power to do anything you want. But Jesus, having confidence in the care and concern for his well-being... His well-being by God saw no need to do such a foolish thing. In fact, Jesus brings up a very important principle that we should not test God. You see, because this, we do it all the time. We do things to test God all the time. We do stupid things because we go, wow, we know God. God's a God of grace. God's a God of mercy. So, ah, his grace is going to cover it. I can do this. His grace is going to cover it. I can be stupid over here. His grace is doing it. I can look at this. His grace has covered me. I can test God. I can say, hey, I'm going to, I know God's got big plans for my life. I really believe this, by the way, that God's got big plans for my life, have done for years. But ah, I'm going to go out there and just walk across Alpine and keep walking back and forth. Nobody's going to hit me because God's got big plans for my life. That plan might be to say, Edwin, you were stupid. Do you know what I'm saying here? We do it all the time. I'm not saying our sin's not covered by his grace, because it is. But why do we want to test how much his grace will cover our sin? We know he will protect. Yes, we know that he can work all the stupid things we do for his good. Because he does. In my life, he has grown me significantly out of the stupid things I've done. And he probably has done the same to you. 
So he can work good out of your bad decisions. But why test him? Yes, he is omnipotent and nothing can derail his will. So his plan for my life is not going to change. But why test him? His plan for your life is, is set in stone. But why test him? And if you're in a peculiar situation that gives some time, if you, if you think you're going to make a bad decision, the best thing you can do is drop to your knees and pray. If you think, oh, I know God wouldn't really want me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's time to drop to your knees and pray and ask for guidance. Or it's time... Really be part of a family. You know what mean being part of a family is? It means you can trust each other. That's scary. But, but you are all my family. We're dysfunctional because I'm in it. But, but, you're in it too, by the way. But it's dysfunctional. But we should have brothers and sisters in our family, that we can trust. That when we're struggling, we can go to fellow Christians and talk it through before we make stupid, bad decisions. And they can encourage us. We should seek out good counselors. See, we need to exercise caution and wisdom through our decision-making. It's important if we want to grow I'm not, never going to tell you that your sin's not covered. But here's the thing. Why you are in that sin, why are you doing them things that God doesn't really want you to do, I can tell you, you, you you're going to grow at a really slow rate, and you're not a very good witness. You're not a very good witness, and, 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 and sin, devil, whatever you want to call it, will leave you there because he's like, in the screw tape letters, he says this, well, We've lost them, we, but they're not hurting. They're not going to. We we could just leave them where they are. We don't have to pester them because they're they're their own thing. Yeah, we've lost them. They're going to be in heaven. We can't save them. We're not going to get them to come to our side. But what we can do is leave them where they're at because then they're not going to witness to anybody else and make heaven any fuller. Because I hope everybody in here wants to make heaven a little bit fuller than it already is. I want one of them packed houses. We should aim for that. Psalms 46 says this, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in our trouble. So who should we turn to? God. Matthew 4, 8 through 11 says this, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. God's positioning. See, the third and final temptation is for 
for Jesus to worship Satan, in doing so, he would have received dominion over all the kingdoms of the world. So what he was basically offering him was the reward for going to the cross without going to the cross. Saying, look, if you worship me, you won't have to go through that pain and suffering on the cross because this kingdom will all be yours. I'll give it to you, but you first have to worship me. See, it seems like an easy enough choice, but for some, the temptation for position and power is overwhelming. See, we are often given a choice to worship something other than God in order to get ahead in life or to receive worldly gain. See, the significant, the significant that comes from worshiping an idol of any kind is always temporary, temporal and temporary. Always. It will not last. We too mu- must choose to worship God alone and trust in Him. Significant, His significance that can only, uh, the significance that can only come from our relationship with Him. See, as a beloved son and daughter of the Most High King, you will inherit an, an eternal kingdom. And it cannot be shaken. See, oftentimes we forget or look past this reality as believers and get distracted by worldly gain. We, this is what we do. We worship creation instead of the creator. We look at the wonder of the world, and we worship it. We go to the Grand Canyon and go, wow, look at the Grand Canyon. You know what we should do? I want to go to the Grand Canyon, and I'm going to stand by somebody I don't know and say, hey, do you know who made that? My dad. And leave it and walk away. I think that's awesome, that my dad made the Grand Canyon. He made the falls. He made this universe. He made the stars we look up at. That's your dad. You can look up there and go, Dad, you did a good job. I like them. Thank you for making them so I could adore them. Notice what I said. Thank you for making them so I can adore them. Don't adore the stars. Don't adore the Grand Canyon. Don't adore the creation. Enjoy who created it. And turn the worship back to him. Because he is who we're supposed to be worshiping. See, oftentimes we forget to, to or look past this reality as believers and get distracted by worldly gain. What can I get out of this? What can I get out of it to better myself? But truth be told, the best is yet to come. You do know that, don't you? I hope you sit in this church and know that one day it is going to be better. It might not be on this side of heaven. But the best is yet to come. And your eternal position is greater than any promotion your boss can give. When feeling tempted in this area, we need to keep things in perspective. And by the way, I'll tell you this. If God wants you to be promoted... If you just put your head down and do what you're supposed to do at work, you're going to get promoted. If God wants it. 
Matthew 6, 33 says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things will be added to you. Martin Luther said this, Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. See, one glaring thing, one constant thing that Jesus did every time the devil tempted him. What did he do? He read scripture. Jesus responded with scripture. You see, the word is powerful. God's word is powerful. Hebrews 4 through 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, so like Luther said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. See, so as we journey together over the next five weeks, I'd like to encourage you to commit to daily time in the Word. Making this a daily habit can literally transform your life. You could read a proverb each day or maybe jump into a chronological reading or simply read two to three chapters starting in Matthew and in five to six weeks you will have read all four Gospels. That's not a lot of reading. And maybe, maybe in the next five or six weeks God will move in your life. And maybe you'll go, wow, I can see God moving, so I'm going to continue this habit. Maybe you could give up an evening of a TV show that you watch. Because these are the things, by the way, that we're tempted by every single day. Our social media, instead of dropping it down, putting it off, switching it off. See, he doesn't care. He's like, they're Christian, I can't save them. But let's keep them distracted. Let's not let them mature and grow and, and, and encourage more people to, to, to grow. Let's just leave them where they are because we can't do anything with them. They're, they're lost. We've lost them. But they won't get anybody else to follow him because they live this way. But maybe we can give up a 30-minute TV show. Maybe we could set our alarm 30 minutes earlier in the morning and spend 30 minutes with the Lord. Woo! That would be a good concept. Seeing as, by the way, being a Christian is supposed to be about relationship, that would be awesome. Or maybe, this is for you newlyweds, maybe you could have breakfast together or supper and before or during or something, you could read some scripture together. To grow together. Because couples that pray and read together the word, stay together. Stay together. See, you could have some more creative ways. And if you do, I want to hear about them in the next few weeks. What you chose to do to get deeper in God's word and to read God's word. And don't worry if you can't understand it. Your pastor doesn't understand it either. Nobody fully understands 
the Scriptures. But we need to be in the Word. See, that's how he deals. You see, when the tempter comes then, you will have something to battle him with. Because you'll have memorized Scripture. If you keep reading it, it will, it will be up here. And you will have the best weapon that you could ever wield against sin and destruction. But here's what we know. If Scripture was significant, sufficient for Jesus, Scripture was enough for Jesus, so why isn't it enough for us? We need to make it enough for us too. And each week I told you I was going to give you a Scripture to read to get ready for next week. This week's Scripture is John 13, 1 through 11. I want you to read this so we can talk about humility. How many people consider themselves humble? Man, you're all amazing. I thought somebody was going to lift up their hand at least. But that makes you not humble, by the way. So we'll get, we'll get to that next week. So please join us uh, for next week's sermon, series, sermon on humility. And let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I know we're not immune to the temptations of life. But God, remind us how you feel about us. Protect us from the dead-end road of worldly gain. And keep our eyes on the eternal reward. Help us to practice patience. Help us to show gratification to you. Help us to, to simplify our lives. God, that we may experience a life that is fully alive in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.